a young boy with a big dream. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we are so glad that you're here again. I want to welcome you uh, if you are new. Of course, we are in the heart of football season, and for some reason, every time uh, of year around this year, I get a little bit nostalgic, and I go back to these powerful stories uh, like the film Rudy. I have to say, probably, little disclosure here, one of my top three movies of all time. I don't know if you've got your top three or your top five uh, in your head, but this is right up there with me as well, because I don't think it's about football. I don't think it's necessarily about sports. I think that it's bigger than that. It's about the power of a dream. Many of you are familiar with that story, but if you're not, uh, Rudy Rudiger is this, in, the, in the, the clip that you saw there, is this young kid that's growing up in Indiana. He's stuck in kind of a middle class, lower class family, a working family, and as far as everybody around him is concerned, the dream for his life, about as far as he's going to go, is working in the family steel mill. That's about as far as his life is going to take him. But for Rudy, he's got a much bigger picture of his future, one that includes, as you heard, I'm going to play football at Notre Dame, which in those days, and a child in his situation coming from the background that he was in, is basically like saying, one day I'm going to walk on the moon. It's about as rageous as that. So Rudy's got his dreams, but what about you? I wonder if you can get a little bit nostalgic with me this morning and go all the way back to your childhood. Go back to age five, six, seven, and eight. What were some of your dreams growing up? Think all the way back there. What, what did you want to be when you grew up? What were some of your dreams before the practicalities of adulthood and productivity got in the way? Just go back with me and put on your childlike faith here this morning. What did you used to dream about? What did you dream about doing? Yeah, lots of different things, right? For our uh, four-year-old son, Caleb, I ask him what he's going to do when he grows up, and it changes daily, so I ask him this on a regular basis. I asked him this this past week, and I said, Caleb, what are you, what are you dreaming about? What are you going to be when you grow up? And uh, lots of different things, uh, all in one, obviously, if there's an occupation that fits, being a Lego pirate, uh, a policeman, a firefighter, and then a pastor like daddy. And I said, wow, that sounds like a really full-time job and very exciting. I said, Caleb, what do pastors do? Like, what does daddy do for his job? What, what, a, what do pastors actually do? And he just looked at me and he says, they talk. They talk all day long. <laughs> so that's something to aspire to. So he's got big dreams. You've got big dreams. Uh, what are your dreams? What were your dreams? Think about that. What did you want to do but put money aside, put time aside, put your, your limitations aside or the the voices that came in and told you, no, you can't. And you know, if you know anything about the film, Rudy, you know that it's just full of that. Just people coming in and, and from all different sides telling him, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. And we're going to find out by the end of the sermon what happens with the power of a dream. But what about you? Maybe it's too hard to remember. The, the reason that we do most of our dreaming in our childhood is because nobody has come along and said how realistic that is, when we're children, the world is wide open with possibilities, but sadly, for a lot of us, our dreaming ends with our childhood. When's the last time you just kind of lay down and, and dreamed about where your life is headed, about the possibilities of what could be there? For Rudy, and for a lot of us, even at a young age, often the fire of our passion gets kind of doused with the water and the expectations to, to grow up and get practical and a lot of us can't remember the last time we dreamed about something than just surviving, right? Than just making it through another week or making the bottom line at work. And that becomes our highest goal is to build wealth or accumulate possessions or maybe just to get to Friday night, just to get to the weekend or just get by. Well, if you know anything about the story of Rudy, you know it's a good thing that he didn't stop dreaming. 
dreams are what makes life worth living. Having a, a picture and a, and a vision for your future is a big part of what allows us to have hope every single day. God has put certain dreams and desires in every single one of our hearts for a reason. The great author and Christian scholar C.S. Lewis once wrote, if I find myself with, with desires that this world cannot satisfy, which I believe is the case for all of us, he says it must mean I was made for another world. Our dreams and our desires that we have for our lives, whether as small children or now still as adults, they're just buried underneath mounds and mounds of years of productivity and adulting, as the kids call it these days, are certain desires that God has placed there for a reason, mainly to point us back to him. If God has given you certain desires that are not satisfied, that are not met, it must mean that you were created for eternity. You were created to never have to say goodbye. You were created to, to, to not have to, to sit with an unmet expectation and a, a longing for, for intimacy. You were created with these for a reason to point you back to God. And what we discover, what I want to show you today is that dreams were not just meant for children or movies or Hollywood, but they were meant for all of us, especially as followers of Jesus. Paul puts it this way, and this is a little bit different twist on this verse than maybe you've seen before, but Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Let's read this nice and loud together. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And maybe you've never thought about that verse in the context of the dreams and the visions that God has for our lives, but here Paul is quoting the prophet Isaiah long ago from the Old Testament, reminding us that for those with faith in Jesus Christ, we are called to be dreamers. We are not called to be people that simply sit idly by and accept the status quo and say, well, this is just the thing, way that things are, whether it's in my life or for us as a community. Why? Because Paul's saying there are great things ahead. Regardless of whether the circumstances of your life, there are great things ahead. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life. He has a future for you. And especially, not only as individuals, but for us as a community, thinking about what, what is God's heart and desires for us as a church. So often, I think maybe the danger is we fall into this mindset of, well, God doesn't really do anything new anymore. I just kind of come and I play church and I go through the motions. And I, I get it. We, we do this every week and, and we come and it, we just sort of start putting in our time. But based on that verse, based on the fact that God has great things ahead, when's the last time you prayed this prayer? God, completely shatter my expectations of what you're like. When's the last time you prayed a prayer and said, God, would you blow my mind with what you're capable of? God, I'm going to walk into Sunday morning and saying, God, whatever you have for me, I want it. I don't want to settle for less than your best. I pray that we would do that individually, but also as a church. To look at that in a, in a visual sense, every single one of us individually, but also as a church, we have a place where we are in our lives, and it's called here. Everybody say here. We also have a place in our lives, all of us that we're longing to get to, and it's called there. Everybody say there. I know this is a highly scientific and technical map of your life, right? Let me break down your life for you in a half an hour, okay? So individually and collectively, we're all on a journey. 
We all have certain desires that we long for, whether it's with our job or uh, relationships or a level of satisfaction in life, whatever it is, but also as a church. And I want to focus more collectively today on where we're going and where we've been as a church. In the lifespan of any church, there's a lot of joy and passion and excitement and enthusiasm at the very beginning, but then at a certain point, the danger is that we will default to complacency. And one of the most dangerous things that you can hear uh, around a church, well, this is the way it's always been, right? And so we stop dreaming. The churches that stop growing are the churches that stop dreaming, are the churches that stop reading passages like that that Paul writes in Corinthians saying, God, we actually believe that the best is yet to come. We're actually not going to settle for, wow, God did this amazing thing. Of all the baptisms, of all the changed lives, of all the new ministries, of all the new things that have happened these past few years, we're not going to settle for less than the best. And so there's two options that we have on this journey as a church, as we're growing as a church, as we're moving from here to there. Some will say, let's just get complacent. I've got my chair. I found my church home. I'm comfortable. We're good. Or you can start dreaming again and never stop dreaming and say, God, what's next? Where are we going next? And ultimately, that's the heart of this campaign that we're in. And if you're new today, welcome to the giving campaign. You're a part of it. Here we go. Uh, you can see some decoration on the walls over there. We're going to get to that at the end of the sermon. You can see something on your chair. If you do, uh, you might be sitting on it. But go ahead and take out that flyer on the top that says Building Hope Together. So this is for all of us. Uh, again, this is not just about money. This is for all of us and where we're going as a church. If you're getting caught up, we're right in the middle of this series called Building Hope Together. This campaign that we started about four years ago for the, to support the purchase and the remodel of the very building you're sitting in. So whether this is your first time here, uh, this, you're more a part of this than you, know, than you know because you're here today. You're a part of our family. You're participating in this. And so that flyer, I'm not going to go over it. We went over that last week, but it gives you a snapshot of where we've been the last three years. Four years ago, we started this campaign after being a mobile church for uh, five or six years, and we realized in our journey as a church, we can't stay here physically. We could not stay where we are. Our current uh, building and uh, the school gym that we were renting was, was getting in the way of us going to there, to the mission and the vision that God's called us to. So we literally had to take a step of faith, and we did that. And thanks to your generosity, we're here now. So a lot of you would say, wow, we've made it, we've arrived, or we can keep dreaming, or we can say, God, what's next? We can't stay there, we're called to go to the next place. God has done incredible things the last three years, as you can see on your sheet, but I feel like we're just getting started, and our work is far from done. In many ways, we find ourselves here again, and to make it really practical and just to lay out for you the why of of why we're doing this. God's given us this fresh picture of where he's calling us in the future. The reality is, I'll write this in a different color, the reality is that right now our here has some limitations. We talked about this uh, last year, that space is one of those big limitations. Not just in worship, and those of you that are sitting in the lobby once again, uh, and as we continue to grow at all of our various services, it's not just worship, it's classroom space, it's the preschool that's literally taken over our entire building as that continues to grow, and that's a great thing. It's our student ministries, it's our young adult ministries, it's our outreach. God has blessed us 
in a way that we need, physically need more space to accomplish that mission. We cannot grow anymore. And so because that is a limitation, it's getting in the way of us going there. And so that picture of there, of course, God's calling us possibly to future expansion, to growth, to new ministries, and all those things, but we can't get there until we take a step of faith away from here, where we are. But there's another reality that's staring us in the face, another limitation that's staring at us, and that's our debt. That's where we are right now. A necessary debt, or we would not be where we are right now, a debt that we took on in a fiscally responsible way, but the reality is that that's getting in the way of us moving from here to there. And the ability to pay down that debt will not only uh, allow us to free up thousands of dollars in interest, as you can see on the back of your flyer there today, but most importantly, to free up some much-needed space in our budget so that we're able to uh, possibly uh, purchase or renovate some future space. And I'm telling you this right now, you know as much about as I know. And I'm going to keep you in the loop with developments, but we've got three or four uh, different balls that are moving down the field as far as where God's calling us next. But the reality is, of where we are from here to there, we can't stay here. And I don't mean that in a physical sense. We're going to be here for a while. We just got here, some of you are saying, for pity's sakes, right? We're here, but in this set of circumstances that we have. There comes a point on every journey, there comes a point in every dream where the pain of staying where you are, you you can't stay there, where it's more painful to stay than it is to go. And that's where we are right now. We can't stay here in this current set of circumstances. That's not who we are are in order to be faithful to God's call. And nobody knows that better than Rudy. If you know anything about the movie, I'm just going to summarize the middle hour for you, but Rudy decides, I'm going to take the step of faith and go to Notre Dame. And there's this powerful scene in, in the next, um, go ahead and go to the next slide, there's this powerful scene where the dad comes to meet Rudy at the bus stop and he's trying to convince him to essentially stay here. To, to stay in central Indiana, to, to, to work at the steel mill the rest of your life, to have a quiet complacent, predictable life. And there's this powerful moment when he's talking to him about, this is what your brothers are doing. And Rudy says, that's not who I am. That's not who God created me to be. I'm not a steel worker. I was meant for so much more. The call on Rudy's life was so much bigger than his past. And he was compelled to do whatever it took to get there. And I believe that that's the call that God has placed on our lives as a congregation as well. Paul puts it this way in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, just this powerful verse. Let's read it together. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. I felt like God wanted us to hear this this morning, but I'm telling you, God didn't create you to be a church that maintains. That's not who you are. As we've prayed and we've asked God, where are you calling us next? This is not who we are as a church. We're not a church that says our best days are behind us. We're a church that says our best days are ahead of us. And what Paul is in, in encouraging the church there in Ephesus to do and what he's encouraging us to do 2,000 later, 2,000 years later, is to stay the course, is to keep the faith, is to not settle and be complacent. What is that big dream for us? What is that calling that God's called us to. A couple years ago, I uh, talked to you about some of this. There was a group of us 
leaders of the church, we got together from all the different ministries, and we were just doing some dreaming and some brainstorming about what that there looks like. And we just asked ourselves, God, what's your dream for Hope Des Moines? And we wrote a bunch of things down on backs of paper and, and notebooks and napkins and all sorts of things, and this is what we landed on. Let's read this together. Imagine a community where thousands of the broken, the hurting, the complacent, even those burned out on church, could find compassion and healing and grace and be transformed and sent out each week with a renewed passion to reach out to the city with the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Folks, we can dream a lot of dreams. You can be a part of a lot of worthy causes in your life. You can give your, your time and your, your talent and your treasure to a lot of different things. But I remember that moment when we got done writing that, and I looked at that, and I read that. And it, the thought honestly went through my mind, and I believe that it was trusting that it was the Holy Spirit. That's a cause that I could give the rest of my life to. And I don't say that lightly. I got a lot of dreams. There's a lot of unfulfilled dreams left in my, there's a lot of things that I can dream, like someday I'm going to play basketball for the University of Iowa. I think I've outworn my eligibility for that finally, but I'm still holding on to that dream if the pastor gig doesn't work out, but that's my dream. At the same time, I look at that and I say, that's so worth it. And my hope and my prayer is that as we go through this campaign, that you would see in a crystal clear way, this is so not about money. This is so not about money. Money is the tip of the iceberg. Money helps us move from here to there where we're going. But if that right there is the there, if that's where God's calling us to in that crystal clear vision of the future, you can sign me up for that. I am all in for that. That is worth giving my life to. You know, at the end of the week, when you're exhausted or you've given yourself for a worthy cause, I've come to believe that there's a good tired and a bad tired. A bad tired is, why in the world did I overwork myself? I spent 70 hours a week working for something that I don't really believe in, for a cause that's not really going to matter. And then there are certain times in our lives where we encounter a dream or a vision, and we look at that and we say, if I'm a part of that, I'm actually going to be making an impact for eternity. This isn't about a mission statement or a vision statement or a diagram. It's not about money or buildings or budgets or finances. This is about a picture of the future where you and I have the opportunity to make an impact on people's lives for eternity. And I don't know about you, but that's a big deal. The bonus is some of us are on staff and we get paid to do that. But I honestly have looked at my staff multiple times and say, are you kidding? We get paid to do that? I would just do that because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ long before I'm a pastor. And I believe that that's what we're called to do. That's worth giving our lives for. That's a dream worth giving everything to. And that's why we're doing this campaign, because of our space limitations and our debt are getting in the way of us moving from here to there. And that's why we can't stay here. At some point in every journey, somebody's got to st stand up and say, we can't stay here. God has called us to so much more. We can't stay here. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we get from here to there? And what I want to propose to you this morning is something called radical generosity. Everybody say radical. That's a long word, and it's hard to spell. 
There we go. Radical generosity. Everybody say radical. Radical because it doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world. How do we get from here to there? Radical generosity. And some of you are sitting there right now. Let's just call a 20-second timeout. You're saying, oh, boy, here we go. Here's the money talk. Here's the dreaded money sermon that I pray that every time I show up at worship, I hope it's not the money talk. I hope it's not the money talk. As if you're going to look at your watch. I don't know. I looked at that. I really hope that's not it. And here's why. Because out of all the things that steer people away from the church, out of all the things that we as a church, that especially at Hope, that's seeking to be a church for people that don't like church, of all the things that have pushed people away unintentionally from the love of Jesus Christ through the local church, number one is that for some of you and for a lot of people that aren't here this morning, to be honest, they've been judged. And they have not felt the love of Jesus. A lot of people love Jesus, just not as followers, because we don't always represent him in the greatest light. And if that's been your experience with the church, I am so sorry. It should never have been that way. The other thing that pushes people away is those darn pastors that always talk about money. And that's why I haven't exactly been looking forward to this day. In fact, this past week, I was out at uh, Smoky Row up the hill here at the coffee shop, and doing a little bit of work, and I ran into some people, and I got to know them, and they were new to town, and they said, yeah, we're looking for a church home, and we've been thinking about that. Oh, yeah, you guys are down there on Ingersoll. I said, yeah, uh, you should come and, and visit us sometime. They're like, oh, yeah, you know what? I think we're around this weekend, um, I, and they said, I, I think we're going to come this weekend, and knowing in the back of my head that I'm giving the money talk this week, every ounce of me wanted to say, you know, I don't know if this is the greatest weekend to come. Um, I've heard that the, the, the preaching is, is kind of sketchy, um, and so maybe just come the next week, and you know. I wanted to say that, but I didn't. And here's why. Because for me personally, and I'm, I'm telling you this, for me personally as John, as somebody that doesn't like to talk about money, and as your pastor, and for so many of us that have been around here for a lot of years, it has gotten to the point We're pursuing the calling that God has for us as a church to go there, to be that community that shares the life-transforming love of Jesus Christ with as many possible people as we can. That picture of the future is way, way more important than possibly offending a few people with their false assumptions about money and the church. Does that make sense? There was another guy that preached a lot and he preached a lot of hard truths. And he said a lot of things that really offended people. And most of the people that were there in his congregation left because the teaching was too hard and it rubbed them the wrong way. And it made them feel really uncomfortable. And that guy's name was Jesus. And so if we avoid everything in the Bible that might make us feel uncomfortable, we're going to have a very small Bible. And so I'm in this with you. There are certain things that I would rather not address. So I thought about just giving a sermon one time that talks about uh, hell and money and politics and just do it all in the same sermon. But we're just going to choose one of those uh, today. But the reality is that there are two ditches that we can fall into when it comes to money. One ditch is that we never talk about it. We just avoid it because people have all these weird assumptions about money in the church and, and we don't want to offend anybody. But the problem with that is Jesus talked about money a lot. In fact, more than he talked about heaven and hell combined, he talked about money and possessions. 
So that's one ditch, is we can't fall into that and never talk about it. And the other ditch we've already talked about is overemphasizing it, is being one of those churches that instead of placing our hope in Jesus Christ and trusting in his goodness to bring us to that place where we're going, we overemphasize money. We say, if we don't meet budget and if you don't give enough money to the giving campaign, then, oh my word, what's going to happen? And the world's going to fall apart and Jesus isn't going to be on the throne. We're not going to go down that ditch either. Because ultimately our hope is not in how much money we can raise or how much money is in the bank account. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen? So people have asked me, John, what if, what if you don't get a lot of money from the giving campaign? I mean, what, what's going to happen? And I'll say, well, then we'll just keep on doing what we've always done and sharing the love of Jesus Christ with as many possible people as we can. Because I trust God that no matter how we get there, it's not always about the destination, it's also about the journey. And so a really good question for us as you're processing this and as you're thinking about what does God and my faith have to do with my finances is not just, God, what do you want to do through me, but, God, what do you want to do in me first? What sort of things uh, in my heart need to shift that money is just sort of the indicator light on my dashboard for? Because here's the thing. It might surprise you that in the whole Bible, Jesus really confronts uh, the, the topic of money, not only in the New Testament, but the Old Testament talks about it as well. Money and possessions are talked about in Scripture, get this, 2,162 times. 2,162 times. It's like that light on your dashboard saying, pay attention. This is a big deal. 2,162 times, but not one of those times is money talked about in the context of guilt or pressure. And I want you to hear that loud and clear. If you walk out of here this morning saying, oh man, I should be a good Christian, I should probably give a little bit more to the church, you have completely missed the point. Scripture is absolutely clear that God loves a cheerful giver. And when it comes to giving, whether it's our, our time and our gifts and our talents or our finances, if we can't give out of the joy and the generosity of our heart, let me make it so simple for you. Don't give. This is a church of joy. This is a church of generosity. And if we're going to be people of radical generosity, there is no place for arm twisting or compulsion or guilt or pressure of any way. So, you're off the hook if you're feeling guilty this morning, okay? But my hope is, is that we can move from here to there as a church, that we can move from a place of guilt and pressure to a place of joy when it comes to money, that we can move from here to there as we're learning radical generosity. We can move from a place of, of, of grip, gripping everything so tightly to living life a little bit more open-handed. When it comes to our money and our possessions, there's two ways to live this life. One is grasping as tightly as we possibly can to make sure that we keep everything that we have. The other way of living is saying, none of it's mine anyway. And so I'm going to hold everything that I have loosely. So how do we get there? What does that look like? I want to just make it, take the, the totality of scripture, and in a few minutes here, try to break it down for you in three words that start with P, and three key ideas when it comes to our finances and our faith. Number one, priority. Everybody say Priority. Number two, percentage. Everybody say percentage. percentage. And number three, progressive. Everybody say progressive. progressive. No, this is not a car insurance commercial. So <laughs> priority, percentage, progressive. So if we're going to understand, first of all, priority, if we're going to understand what God has to say about our finances and our possessions, it starts with remembering whose, days, who, whose they are to begin with, which is not ours, not Yours. Let's read Psalm 24, verse 1, nice and loud together on the screen. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, 
the world, and all who live in it. That includes you. Everybody say everything. everything. Everybody say everything. 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 Every part of who you are, everything that you have is not ours. If you believe that everything that you have, your money and possessions, is yours, you will be stressful. You will be stressed when it comes to money. You will have a lot of unnecessary worry when it comes to money. Instead, I challenge you, here's my challenge for you to go home today, and uh, the other people that live in your house might think you're a little weird for this, but grab one of those huge uh, sticky note uh, pads with a whole bunch of sticky notes, and on every single one of them, write, not mine. And then I want you to go around your entire house and stick those post-it notes on every single thing in your house. Your Keurig, your dog, your bed, your wallet, your, ch- your children, just stick it right on their forehead. Not mine. Parents, you know this. This is so hard. Those kids don't belong to me. Bible says the children are a gift from God. So's your money. Go down to your bank and ask your banker to go to your safety deposit box and stick a post-it note on it that says, not mine. Just say my pastor just told me to do it and he's weird. Just tell him to do that, right? Look around your house with all these sticky notes that says, not mine, and sit in that for a second and ask yourself, how does that sit with me? How does that make me feel? And if there's any ounce of you that's like, but, but I worked hard for that. that, that that's mine. I, I earned that. There's a couple different ways you can live. One is you enter into this world and you think this world owes me something. Or for followers of Jesus that has been ravaged by the grace of God, the other way to live is simply say, the fact that I have breath in my lungs this morning is an extravagant gift of grace. It doesn't matter how much money is in my wallet or my checkbook or my bank account. Everything I have is grace. Everything I have is grace. This goes far beyond money. This is about everything that you have. And if you think about it, like in a big pie or a big circle, everything you have, your time, your talents, your gifts, the things that God's given you, your titles, your positions at work, your credentials, your experience, all of that, not yours, not yours. You've been bought at a price, Scripture says. You've been ransomed, so honor God with everything, time, your talents, and another way of saying money, your treasure. All of it is God's. All of it. Which is where scripture points us to next when it comes to giving back to God our priority. Proverbs 3, 9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the scraps. No, it says with the first fruits of your crops. Now they're talking about that in an agricultural sense, which was the culture that Jesus grew up in with the, the, a lot of the Bible is written in. So what does this mean? Whatever God's given you, giving it back to him takes priority. It's not a day-by-day decision. It's not a month-by-month decision. It's a one-time decision to say God gets the very best. So many people have this view of tithing or giving back to God to say, I'm going to do everything I want to do that makes me happy, that, that brings me joy and satisfies me, and then if I have any leftovers, I'll give the scraps from the table to God. No, it's first. Why? Because God needs it? Absolutely not. Hear me say this. When it comes to what giving does inside of us and the joy and the freedom that it produces, we need to give a lot more than God needs our gift. We need to give a lot more than God needs our gift. God doesn't need anything from you. 
This church doesn't need anything from you. God wants to create in you a joy-filled, free, generous heart. That's the purpose of this campaign. That's why we're talking about money. We need to give more than God needs our gifts. So number one, we remember it was never ours to begin with. It is a regular reminder. It's not mine. It's not mine. It's not mine. And number two, it's for our joy. And I know it's easy to think about this in a hypothetical sense or in a, in a, you know, a diagram or statistics and things like this. It's a little bit different when you start thinking about giving God priority with your finances in real life. And so I want to introduce you to our next hope story uh, today to my friends David and Laura McCord that have been a part of this church from the very beginning. And I want you to listen as they share their story how God has changed their hearts when it comes to what God has given them to bless others. Let's take a look. I'm David McCord. And I'm Laura McCord, and we've been here for a decade. Well, the building has really expanded our influence for the kingdom. Um, we were at an elementary school gym for about six years, and we had a great congregation there. The Spirit of God was working mightily, but we were limited because we had the space for about four hours on a Sunday morning. Being a member here has really increased my thankfulness quotient because uh, we've been involved with this congregation since basically the very beginning. And to see how it's blossomed, um, I'm just um, always so thankful to God that I got to be a part of that. I realized uh, as we were originally raising some funds for, the, for this church that um, people were very happy to be part of this and that it wasn't at all difficult, that people wanted to give money uh, for the new church. And, uh, and to some extent, we, I think we underestimated what God was going to do here. I think what I've learned about generosity is that it can increase your faith in a couple of ways. Um, I've become more faith-filled, I think, uh, because you have a tendency to think, I need that money. And it turns out that if you give it, you really didn't need it. When you give, there is so much joy that follows. I always think when it comes to giving, uh, to the words that are said before, we take the offering each week, which is that if you are a member here, to give out of the joy of your heart. Joy. Joy, not something that you normally associate with money, especially in the church that you normally would associate with giving away your money. But that's available for you today. We want you to know that. That joy is available when we remember that it was never ours to begin with. So first of all, priority. God gets first priority with our finances. Secondly, percentage. Everybody say percentage. percentage. Scripture lays out this beautiful picture for us. It's like an app on your phone almost. It's easy to remember, simply, it's called tithing. And tithing is, is, is simply giving the first 10% of our income back to God. And, and I hear people say, well, Pastor John, is it from the net or from the gross? Is it pre-tax or is it post-tax? And my response to that is, I'm a pastor, not an accountant. And number two, pray about it. Because that is a matter of the heart. And if we're asking those kind of questions, we're maybe missing it. I would say pray about it. 
and be obedient and, and ask God. Where does this idea come from? Is this tithing just something that pastors made up just because we need more money in our budgets? No, it's actually all throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, Genesis, Abram gave a tenth of everything that he had. In Leviticus, we learn that a tithe of everything from the land, the first 10% went to the Lord. Numbers 18, give a tenth of your earnings back to God over and over. Unless you think this is just an Old Testament thing, Jesus lifts it up and affirms it in Matthew 23, 23 with the Pharisees. Don't forsake tithing. It was a big deal. Now, some of you are looking at that going, wait a minute, time, time out, Pastor John. 10%? That's a lot. Like, that's all that. that, that it's not my, well, we've already lost our track. That's mine, right? 10% of everything that's mine. And here's where I catch myself when it comes to not just my, my finances, because I know that's not where some of you are at today, and you're not in a place where you can give. This still applies to you. There, there was a, a, a study done by a, a research group that studies these things, and they interviewed thousands of people, and they asked them, what is rich? What does it mean to be rich? What does it mean to have a lot of money? And interestingly, for every bracket of people, every income bracket, what does it mean to be rich was one bracket ahead of where they were. Isn't that interesting? Rich is a moving target. Wealthy is a moving target. So when I talk about these things, I don't want you to just think, well, that's for the people that have a big, you know, a big account. This is for all of us. I used to think, okay, if all of this is mine and I've got to give 10% of that back to God, that's a big slice of the pie. And that's one way of looking at it. But the other way of looking at it is to say, actually, 100% of it is God's. Everything I have is God's. Everything I have is a gift from God. And he is actually blessing me, and he trusts me to be a good steward of 90% of it. You see how it just flips it on its head? It goes from, God, what are you taking my money for? To, wow, God really trusts me. I'm his son. I'm his daughter, and he wants me to be a good steward of 90% of that. And so tithing is a way that we develop this spiritual discipline where we learn to trust God that he's going to provide for us. And I know what some of you are maybe thinking right now. You're thinking, John, tithing? I, no, I know to you know, be a good Christian. You gotta read your Bible and you gotta, you gotta pray and you gotta serve and you gotta show up at worship. Those are all good things. But money? You can tell God to stay out of my personal business, right? That's, those are my finances. And God says to you this morning, I want all of you. I want all of you. I, I want no part of your life untouched. This is about your heart. This is about your heart. Some of you will say, well, John, why are you talking about my finances? I'd say to assess your spiritual health, money is a, is a way that we can assess, like the dashboard says, what's the condition of my heart? Am I living like this or am I living like this? The other big pushback that I get when I show people this is they say, well, John, I, the reality is I'm just not at a place where I can give right now. I've got bills. I've got debt. I've got loans. I, we're trying to pay this off and, and that off. I just don't know if I can give right now. Some of you are saying, like, the theme song, if there was a theme song to my life, it'd be that one from the 90s, like, if I had a million dollars, right? You know, if I had a million, okay, that song, right? Don't hang me out to dry here, people. You know, Right? That's the theme song to my life. If I had a million dollars, yeah, then I would be a little bit more generous. Rich, one step above where I am. It's that carrot that's out in front of me. When I have a little bit more, then I'll give. And hear me say this loud and clear. If you are not at a place right now in your life where you can provide for your family, don't give. The church should be giving to you. Don't give. 
On the other hand, some of you are there, and for some of you, you can give. It's just going to take some discipline. And just as with any spiritual discipline, with praying or reading your Bible or any other discipline, for those of you that, that do uh, running or yoga or anything like that, discipline is making small sacrifices for a greater reward. Making small sacrifices for a greater reward. We get this in terms of fitness and nutrition and eating right and all those things. And for some of you, God is calling you to put the same discipline that you do into your yoga workouts and your biking and all of your other hobbies and to take some of that same discipline and put that in to what God's given you in terms of your finances. That's why we offer Financial Peace University on a regular basis. We're going to offer it again in January. And God gives you a very clear picture of what that looks like, and it's a great teachings. Start somewhere is what I would say. If you can't give 10%, ask God, how could I give 1%? How could I give 2 then 5 and work up to that? And that leads to the third key. It's progressive. Everybody say progressive. progressive. Giving is something that should change over time. When I was living the bachelor life and I had just graduated from college and I moved out to Colorado in my, my parents' brown Subaru station wagon, everything I had fit in that station wagon. I think I had $42 to my name, right? If I was a part of a church, I'd be kind of a lame church member because I'd be given $4.20, right? But it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. And so our tithing has changed over time. It should. 10% is not some sort of target or checkbox that you reach and go, good, I've reached that. I'm good, which is where many of you are as well. Some of you need to work up to that. For some of you, the issue is not, can we give 10%? It's what is God calling you to give? Pray about it. Ask God. Remember, this is about your heart. When I was working at a church in Colorado many years ago, we did a series on money, and I had a, a gentleman come up to me that I knew was pretty well off. He was a businessman. He was in the oil industry, and he was doing really well. And he came up to me, and he said, John, I'm not sure I'm supposed to tell you this because it has to do with my money. And I said, I don't really want to know. And he said, I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, and he said this, I just want you to know this, and maybe this can help other people understand what giving has done for me and, and my joy meter in my life. He said, God has blessed me so that I can be a blessing. And he said, for me, if I gave any less than 25%, I would be robbing myself of the joy that God wants to give me, and most importantly, I would be robbing so many other people of the blessing that God wants to be to them through me. And I went, wow, because it's shifted for him. All of a sudden, giving has moved from a, get to, or from a got to to a get to, from a I should to a I get to. It's almost like giving had become worship for him. What if you, you know when you have those moments in worship, and maybe you did this morning or maybe you will later on here, where your hands are raised in worship, your eyes are closed, and you just feel the joy of the Lord, and that overwhelming sense of peace comes over you, and there's just so much joy flowing into your heart, what if that was the same feeling you had when you put that in the offering basket or when you clicked give online? It's a little bit less flashy, but same idea, right? What if giving was one more act of worship for you? Not just with your, your money, again, but with your time, your talent, and your treasure, because you never know what God might want to do. I love what Laura said in the video that when this campaign started, I think we underestimated what God wanted to do through this church. So let's keep dreaming. 
let's keep dreaming, to keep pressing towards the future that he's called us to, just like our friend Rudy. Against all odds, by keeping the faith, Rudy didn't settle for the status quo. He decided to live a radical life. He didn't settle for any less than God's call for him. And for those of you that know the end of the story as we watch this final scene, I want you to ask yourself, what if the story would have been different and what if Rudy would have settled for here? What if he would have settled for, well, that's the way we've always done it. I'm fine the way things are. He never would have got to experience this moment. Let's take a look. To think, you guys, that he might have missed it. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be sitting here five or ten years from now going, oh, we missed it. God sent this huge tidal wave of his Holy Spirit our way, and he's changing lives, and he said, keep dreaming, keep dreaming, and I don't want to miss it because I'm too complacent or because I'm too indifferent or like Rudy because maybe I'm just going to stay on the sideline because there's not a place for me. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to stop dreaming and whatever it takes to get there of where we're going as a church, it's worth it because what God has called us to is a way bigger mission than a college football game. As important as those are, I'm sorry about the losses yesterday, but Jesus is still on the throne and we have been called to something so much bigger than that and it's changing lives for eternity. The ultimate question for this campaign is not how much should I give. The ultimate question for this campaign is God, what is your dream for Hope Des Moines? And how are you calling me to be a part of that with my time, with my talent, and with my treasure? And so for those of you that have picked up those campaign packets, these black folders that are in the back at the Welcome Center today, if you haven't got one of those, I would encourage you to do that. There's an envelope in there. And next week, we're going to ask every single one of you to bring one of these up. They're going to be on the chairs. You can grab them. We encourage you to grab one so you can take it home and think about it and pray about it, most importantly. But on that card, you'll notice it says, my gift of not just money, but my time and my talent. Whether this is your first time here or your hundredth time here, you have a role to play. God is calling you into the game to keep dreaming, to be a part of what God is doing. And so we ask that you would bring those back next week and every single one of us is gonna bring one up. Dreams are powerful. Dreams give us something to live for. And so on your chairs today, you'll notice there's another card, an orange card. We invite you to take that out. And underneath your seats, there's some Sharpies. Or on your seats, or there's one share with the person next to you, I promise. They're nice. They won't bite. And if you want to share that marker, whether this is your first time here or you've been here the whole time, the question for us today is, what are you dreaming about? Yeah, we all have our own dreams and everything like that, but what is God calling us to as a church? What do the next five to 10 years look like for us as a church? The question is, God, what's your dream for Hope Des Moines? And I would encourage you to write that on there. And as I wrap things up here, I want to encourage you to write that down, whether it's a very specific idea or whether it's more of a general idea of where God is calling us. Unless you think this is some frivolous, cheesy exercise, Nine years ago, about 50 people huddled in an elementary gym on 42nd Street did this exact same thing. Some of you are sitting there saying, it doesn't matter what I write down. There's a whole bunch of people. I mean, look at all those dreams. We're just surrounded by them. 
My dream for this church doesn't really matter. My prayers for this church don't really matter. Let me read to you this past week. I went back and let me read to you a few of the dream cards that were filled out almost nine years ago. Keeping in mind what God has done in this place these last few years. One person wrote, my dream for Hope Des Moines is that we would become a loving, welcoming church where anyone, regardless of their church background, their race, their political party, or their income would be able to experience the love of Jesus Christ. It's happening. It's happening. Another person wrote, my dream is that we would be a church that is full of children and students of all ages discovering the love of Jesus Christ from a very early age, growing up to be lights for Jesus Christ in their homes and their schools and their workplaces. It's happening. It's happening. Another person wrote, there's so many, the last one, my dream is that we would eventually be the kind of church that is so invested in the neighborhood that local schools and businesses and nonprofits would call us to help those who are truly in need because of the life transformation that only Jesus can bring. It's happening. Praise God, it's happening. Praise God, these and so many more. And so the question before us this morning is what does God wanna do next? Write it down, dream big. That's all I ask of you. Dream really big because we have a really big God. And as you see, we're gonna, after you leave today, there's a couple baskets. They're gonna be in the back. We ask you to drop them off back there and then we're gonna plaster them all over these walls. And when you come next week, when we prepare to give, you're gonna be surrounded by the dreams that God has given us. Not me, not anybody up here, but you as the church, you are the church. So the band's gonna play a little bit. I'm just gonna give you a minute or two. Take this seriously. What is your prayer for Hope Des Moines? Take that Sharpie, share with the person next to you and ask, Holy Spirit, what's my dream for Hope Des Moines?